And then I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, some things that I was thinking about on the way home. Uh, this week was, uh, on the 22nd, was, would have been my mom's 56th birthday, I think. She was born in 64. And she, it, it's crazy to think that she passed away when she was 34 years old. It's, it's, it's crazy. Passed away of leukemia, um, had it pretty bad, didn't, didn't take very long for her to pass away, but it was, a, it was a difficult thing. And I think that's why in my studies this week, it was just kind of saturated with that about uh, how quickly our life can be gone. And I just want to encourage you that that message had two applications. There's the application for the lost person, number one, to realize how imminent death is, how guaranteed death is, and to get saved today, not to delay. But then for you and I, it's to look at death and not have fear of it. Not revolve around the fact that, oh, one day I'm going to die and I have to do all these things so that I won't die and all these different ways that we can think. We have defeated death. It's, there's no more thing to worry about with death. There's, there's nothing that death can do to you except transition you out. It's just a stepping stone into, into eternity when we think about it. So, you know, I, I pray that, that was an encouragement to you. And also be praying for people who, you know, are not yet saved, but they are, the, the Lord is working in their life. When we think about all of the people that we run into, God has been working in their lives. Now, whether they accept that and, and let that leading follow is up to them. But uh, you can do a great deal of uh, help in a person's life by just being willing to share the gospel. And uh, you know, our Wednesday night series on uh, explaining your faith is more than just learning the seven points of the wallet. Yeah, I'm going to get you a card. Dr. Myers and I are working on this together where you have 20 conversation starters, where you can look at how you want to start a conversation with somebody, how it can lead into an illustration. And, you know, you may have five or six minutes. It's a very, I don't, I don't know his full name, so I, I think his last name is Washer. And he, he is pretty popular on YouTube, and he has a ministry and all that. Five-point Calvinist, not surprising. But he said, there's no way that a person can trust Christ in less than five minutes. And I disagree. I disagree 100%. I mean, if that's true, then Jesus didn't lead the thief on the cross to Christ. <laughs> he would have had to go through a you know, five-week course and really understand the depths and the height and all that. No, it, you understand your need for a Savior, and you just need to know who the Savior is and believe on Him. It's a very, I don't want to say it has to be a quick conversation, but there's nothing saying it doesn't have to be. And I want people to know that because, you know, there is coming a time where we're, we're going to leave this earth and we'll, we won't have those opportunities anymore. And, and the Lord will reward you greatly for your decision to sacrifice time and sacrifice money for the sake of reaching the gospel, or excuse me, to, for the sake of people being able to reach others with the gospel. And the reason why I talked about those things is because what we're going to talk about tonight is a very Christian principle. It's for believers. Um, we're still dealing with the church of Corinth, and we're going through verse by verse of Paul's address to them, which is really God's address, because as the Word tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So this is God's address to carnal believers, okay? And in that address, Paul is going to get in the weeds a little bit tonight when it comes to our liberty. And there are, I, I, I was thinking about when I was preparing, I thought, 
Um, I had done some research, and of course, I like to see what other commentaries say, and I just think it's so funny. On the difficult issues, crickets. Like, people don't really want to talk about verses that, on the surface, they're tough. It has nothing to do with salvation, but it has a lot to do with our liberty. Okay, we have freedom in Christ. And Paul, beginning in verse, or excuse me, in chapter 8, you remember we talked about idolatry and we talked about what was happening in the church of Corinth, that they were frequenting these pagan festivals and meals and really partaking fully in them and what that meant for the image of these Christians who carried the banner of Christ and how that was not a good thing. And then we talked about meat that was sacrificed to idols, and we'll see tonight they're called the shambles, but it's really a meat market, and how it's okay to have that meat. You know, there's a, there's a difference between partaking in meat that's uh, available in the market and going to, you know, this idol pagan feast and taking part in these things. And a lot of people go one of two ways here, and this is where I want to set it up, and I want to speak very candidly with you that a lot of what I'm going to talk about tonight is how the Lord has worked in my life, and what I see here in the Scripture. I'm not saying this is a private interpretation, but I am saying that you may have a different view of this, and that's okay. But I want to just be real clear that in all of our pursuit, we need to be very prayerful when we study God's Word. Not, not timidly, as though it's something too great for us to handle. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit illuminates our minds. We can understand things because of the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And as we live a disciplined life, I think we can understand more of God's Word. But we're not to go into something pridefully, arrogantly, and, and saying this is the only way Scripture can be interpreted. Let me say this, too. We need to do the same thing with the Gospel, okay? And I think what will happen is, as you study the Word of God honestly, you will see that what the Bible says is salvation is free. There's, there are too many clear verses, clear passages, entire themes in the Bible to say salvation is of works. For example, if someone says James chapter 2, which you may have run into that before, well, faith without works is dead. We can't take James chapter 2, isolate those six verses, and not compare them to what Romans 4 says. We need to look at those two things together. Is there anything that's written in Romans 4 that can shed light on what was happening with James's address to these believers? The answer is Yes. And we have to seek the whole counsel of, of God's Word and be willing to come to the place of what is the right solution here? Not what is the FBC way or the free grace way and what's the Calvinist way and all these different things. All of those different ways should be analyzed off of what Scripture says. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to cover, uh, you know, our first set of verses are pretty basic and we'll cover those topics. But then the last set of verses tonight, I want to have an open, you know, discussion as far as what these verses mean and how we can properly apply them. So before we start, I want you to understand there's two sides of extremes within Christianity. You have over here all the way to this side, the, the, the full liberty side. I can partake in all things. Let's call it a license to sin. Since we have all of this grace um, and sin cannot overcome grace, well, let's just continue to sin. There are people today who believe that. There are people in the Corinthian church who are living that way, okay? That's wrong. That's abusing our liberty in Christ. You can look in Galatians 5 and see where Paul says, do not do that. 
Okay, so then you have, we pass the middle ground and we go all the way over to the other side and we put ourselves back under a ritualistic following of the law. And that's called legalism. So you have these two warring extremes, okay? And it seems like within the church of Corinth, these two uh, themes are present. A lot of uh, abuse of liberty. And then there's a lot of legalism, making everything a federal case, asking many, many questions about something that is very basic or easily understood, making you know, mountains out of molehills and just living in wickedness and sin and saying, well, I'm saved. And so you have these two groups here, and Paul is trying to address them all through the light of the Scripture. And I believe the answers for, well, how are we supposed to live? Is there, is there a common ground? I think there is a, a middle ground, and I think it falls all under good discernment. I was talking to a friend, and he asked me before I started preaching today, he said, what are you talking on tonight? And I said, well, I'm going through 1 Corinthians 10, and I said, there's a little bit of heavy lifting in there. And we talked about, about this idea of discernment, Okay you got a young Christian who is able to exercise discernment, looking at what is good and looking at what is right and making a decision, but not really equipped to make good decisions. He doesn't know enough of God's Word. He, he doesn't have enough experience yet. Okay, we have that young person. Then we have an older person who's been saved for a while. They're saved by grace like you and me. They've practiced discernment, but it's poor discernment. And they now take their very you know, big resume of discernment and they try to put it over the young one. Where's the flaw in these two things? It's not godly discernment. And how do we have godly discernment? By letting things be filtered through clear portions of Scripture. The Bible really has to be how we live our lives. We need to look at the different areas that are there and ask the Lord to help us understand how this can be applied to our life. This is, this is why it's so important to be open to the application of verses into your life. It's not just reading the Bible every day because, well, you get a check mark that you've read the Bible. It's reading the Bible so you can see what overall theme can I apply to my life through these scriptures. That's so why the Old Testament is vastly important, and we covered that several weeks ago. It's been three weeks now since we've, we've talked in 1 Corinthians, but we talked about Israel as the example. And you looked in the Old Testament of all the things that they did incorrectly and how we can mark those things there for our example, as Paul says, and we can avoid them. So we're continuing off that theme. I want you to understand there's two groups that are being addressed here, the the super liberal side and the very legalistic side. And Paul's trying to get them all in one address to see the truth of God's word. Look in verse 15, first, uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 15. It's on page 1220. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Okay, what, what event is he talking about here? Talking about communion, which we'll see in chapter 11, how communion was being abused. But specifically here, he is reminding them that this is what communion is for. The juice representing the shed blood of Christ. 
For what? Not for the fact that it was just shed without purpose. Shed as an atonement for all sin, okay? His body which was broken for us. And then he says right here in verse 17, we're all one bread, one body. See, everyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ is put into this universal collective body of Christ. Whether they're a, a, a very disciplined Christian, a very undisciplined Christian, a new Christian, an old Christian, it doesn't matter. If you are saved, you're put into this same collective body. And you'll see when we get to ver, uh, chapter 12 how the body can have, it, it can have a problem. You ever experienced that? Where your body is in disagreement with your mind? You want to do something and your leg says, no, I'm just going to stop. <laughs> or your hip wants more attention every single day until you have to go under the knife. I mean, we, we, we can see these real-world applications, but it's the same thing within the body of Christ. But the point that he's making here is it's all one body. And because of that, we act foolishly when we allow sin into our lives, when we go super liberal and say, well, all things are lawful for me, and I'm going to just abuse that to the extreme, or when we go all the way to the uh, legalist side and say, I'm going to bind myself back. I know I'm saved by grace, but I'm going to do these things just so I can show how good I am, show how thankful I am of this, of this grace. That's not how it works. And he's, reminded, he's setting up here for their abuse at the communion table. Look in verse 18. Behold, Israel after the flesh, physical Israel, are not they which eat at the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idol is anything? But I say that the things with the, which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils. Okay, so the meat that they are sacrificing. These idols are nothing. They have demonic imagery behind them, and to the lost person, there can be demonic effects that happen to it. But the fact that they're sacrificing this meat is not really the problem. It's the fact that they're sacrificing it to an, a, a, a pagan idol. And that's exactly what is said here in verse 20, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would that ye should not have fellowship with devils. So the Corinthian church is frequenting these festivals. They're fully partaking. And that's why Paul says in verse 18, consider Israel after the flesh. When Israel walked away from God, they were fully participating in idol worship. Think about this for a second. Women in temples for one purpose, to fulfill the needs of the flesh, to conceive children and then offer those children up as a sacrifice to pagan gods, such as Chemoth and Ashtaroth and Molech, you would say, no way. I'm going to tell you, yes way. It happened. And it was not just like, well, I'm just here for the, you know, I like this cut of meat. <laughs> He's saying, if, if, you're, you're, if you're there in that event, you are showing one thing, that the communion of Christ can also be a communion with devils. And that's a heresy, we reject that. But here's these Corinthian believers that are really struggling with the liberty that they have been given in Christ. 
And so Paul is setting up here verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. There cannot be even a little bit of idol worship or idol-style worship at the Lord's table. Yet what was happening? We know exactly what was happening. Hold your place here, and actually, if you're in a Scofield Bible, you don't even have to turn your page. Just look over in chapter 11, verse 19. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating, everyone taketh before others his own supper. And one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So what was happening is, they're coming together for <clears throat> the Lord's Supper. And they're having a grand feast, which could be compared to what was happening with idol worship. And we even see here in verse 21, and another is drunken. Can you imagine, just imagine this for a moment, that you come next week to have the Lord's Supper, and I'm up here drinking alcohol and getting drunk and, and, and saying that is something we set aside to remembrance of the Lord's body, which was broken for us, and His blood, which was shed. It's an atrocity. It's a shame. It is an open communication to the world that the ways of devils can have communion with the ways of God. It's not, not that way. And that's why he says in verse 21, you can't do both. You can't sacrifice to devils and drink at the Lord's table. That doesn't mean, uh, you know, if you do that, you're not saved. But at communion, you cannot have communion properly if you have these ways about you. I mean, when we pass around the uh, wafer to you, we're not giving you a loaf, right? <laughs> you're not getting a loaf with a nice knife to cut and butter it up and your drink is just this big, you're not getting an 8-ounce or a 32-ounce big gulp communion, you know? It's a small thing because these things don't really have any value in themselves. It's what they represent. We spend more time when we have communion com uh, preparing in confession, in prayer, than we do actually partaking of the elements. We don't go to the back building to partake in communion. The act of eating it and ingesting it is, you know, merely seconds. What was happening here is it, it was not discernible from an idol uh, worship. And these Corinthians had been seen frequenting these places. Common. It's a problem. Be holy as he is holy. And that means to be set apart. There are things that we do not partake in. And that's, well, we, we have liberty this Paul is drawing a very clear line on, that we need to have good discernment on it. And remember what he says there in verse 15 of chapter 10, I speak as to wise men, okay? To be wise is to be a good listener and someone who is willing to perform what you hear, right? You ever uh, been in a class or 
been in an environment where you're learning something and there's just always someone who has to have a question after every statement. All the time. You begin to look back at them and think, if I was Superman and I had laser... You know what I'm saying? It's like, please hold your questions till the end. And they ask and they ask and they ask. And it's like, if you would just be quiet <laughs> and wait for the professor to finish or the person to finish their presentation, you'd probably have one of two things, your answer or a better way to ask your question. But people love to live that way. It's very wise to be willing to listen to the Word of God, to hear it taught, to take it in, to pray over it, and then be willing to do what you see is shown there. Wise men. Are there foolish men in the church? Yes, there are. And they don't have to be just young men. They can be old men too. It, fool, you know, foolishness does not really uh, discriminate against age. In fact, look at what Paul said to Timothy. Don't let them despise your youth. Moving on here in verse 22. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? Do you want to get in a fight with God? Do you want discipline to come upon your ministry and your own self because of your lack of discipline when it comes to communion? No, you don't want that? Well, stop doing that. <laughs> Why do we want to provoke Him to action against us? He will discipline us. Listen, He's not like our, our dads here on earth, you know? How many of you had a, a pretty strict upbringing? There was not a lot of wiggle room. Okay. How many of you had a pretty laid-back upbringing? You could kind of do whatever you want. It was like, eh. Okay, the Lord's not like either one of those. He does right. He judges correctly and, and brings about that discipline in full love. We can't run away from Him. You know? Can He show us mercy? Yes. But uh, is there going to come a point where he's going to need to discipline us? Yeah. Uh, Dr. Arnold said of, I think it was Ray Stanford had said, some, some Christians are sowing wild oats and then they're praying for crop failure. And I always thought that was such a great way to put it. Live a horrible, wicked life Sunday or Monday through Saturday and Sunday because you got your church shoes on, well, you'll get crop failure. And if you pray hard enough and you have enough, and listen. It's not that way. Another great comparison is the, the alcoholic that damages their body. After years and years of abuse, they damage their kidneys, and, or excuse me, they uh, damage their liver, and then guess what? They may stop and get sober, but that damage can last the rest of their life. That consequence is on them. I mean, it could be the same way with our lack of discipline in our walk with Christ. Isn't there great stuff here in God's Word? You, you, you can see the application. Okay, so let's move on to, oh, I want to look at one other thing. Hold your place here in 1 Corinthians 10 and look in Luke chapter 4. I've taught the life of Christ twice now. I love that course so much. I, I think of one of our students, Blake, who it was his first semester and he was just so excited and he's looking for credits to take, you know. And usually we want students to take Life of Christ as a sophomore or a junior, especially after they've taken John. Well, he was taking all these together, okay? And it was a lot because Jesus says some things that on the surface level are difficult. 
but Blake was just so excited about it, and he's fired up about it. One of the things that I remember Blake commenting on was what we're going to look at here. It was the authority that Jesus had over demons. There was zero question of who was in charge. Now, I did an e-sword search on the phrase, what have we to do with thee? And there's three places where it happens. One in Matthew 8, another in Mark 1, and the other here in Luke 4. And I like that phrase because when we look at what Paul just said, there is no place for the idol worship to be mixed with the communion at the Lord's table. What have they to do with one another? You see how it's almost similar? What have we to do with thee? Look at this little account here in Luke chapter 4. Verse, we'll start in verse 31, page 1077 in a church Bible. And came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil. So he was demonically possessed. And that man cried out with a loud voice, and here's what he cried out, saying, let us alone. Scary, right? Plural? Within one man? Wow. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? There was no fight. There was no, oh, all right, yeah, this is, this is my chance. I get to go against the Son of God. They knew exactly who he was, what authority he had, and what role he had that they were going to be judged. Look what it says in the rest of that verse. I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. I mean, case closed. Case closed. That he is, I mean, I'm not saying that the, just that alone, but look at Jesus' claims and all that. We've been studying it for several weeks here. Was he not the Son of God? Verse 35, And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and heard him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. So then why, if this is how the demons react to Jesus, why would a Christian foolishly participate in idol feasts? Or why would a church allow pagan ritualistic practices to come into the communion at the Lord's table? Because of sin. Because of a lack of understanding. And Paul is being strong with them in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, you cannot do it both ways. Quit it, or you're going to... You want to provoke him? Do you want to get... Do you think he's, you're stronger than he is? I like when Paul gets like that, because that's my field, you know? That's how... When someone said that to me, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I, I probably... You know, they don't tiptoe around it. You've got to be straight with me. All right, let's continue. So we're going to leave that go here. We're going to look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to go through verses 23 through 33. I, I think we have enough time to get through it all. Verse 23, back in 1 Corinthians 10. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. This is another great principle to apply to your life. Is it expedient? Is it something that is worthwhile? Does it produce? And secondly, does it build up? This is an excellent filter 
to put your life choices through. We were talking, and by the way, I didn't mention this, but Warren did an excellent job leading the men's Bible study yesterday, very edifying. And he talked about his using spiritual gifts. And you know how people try to find out their spiritual gifts today? It's one of many ways, but some, some ways that I've seen, they just think it'll come to them. They just think, well, you know, if I just ask God, He'll make it known to me. Or they let somebody else speak a gift into their lives. And I'm talking more about the charismatic circles. They'll come up to an altar, and some person will and smack them in the head, and it's like, oh, the gift of administration. Yes. The, you know, the or whatever it may be. And that's not how the Word tells us. It's, it's, it's discipline. It's being active. It's being informed. Informed of what? Well, what are the gifts? How, if, they're, if they are in Scripture, how are they used? And then it's getting involved in service. I was talking to a friend of mine, the same friend that um, I was talking to before service today, and we were talking about spiritual gifts and this was before your class. I called him right after your class. And I said, you need to pick up Ryrie's book because he has that book. But I told him, I was like, the best way you can find out what your spiritual gifts are are to get involved in your local church. Just with something, with anything. And they'll make themselves known. And it's not a magic trick either. But it's, it's discipline. And specifically here, when we look at how we're supposed to look at the liberty that we have, does it build others up? Wow. You know what this puts a knife right into? Selfishness. You can't, excuse me, properly serve without being humble. It's a fact. You can't serve somebody without thinking less of what you need to do and more of what they need. Oh, sure, all things are lawful to you, but are they expedient? Are they good? Do they edify? Now, he, he says that in the beginning, and it's going to inform the rest of what we say. Looking, or the rest of what we read, verse 24. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth, another's gain, another's profit. Just hold your place real quick and look in chapter 6, because this will all sound familiar to you, because it is. Look in chapter 6 and verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now, he just said that to them a couple chapters ago, and he's bringing it back up here, and now there's an addition to it in verse 24. Let no man seek his own, his own gain. I'm not reading that into the scripture here, but when we see what it says, but every man another's wealth, me last others first because of Christ. Verse 25, whatever is sold in the shambles, and I told you that shambles there is a marketplace, a a place of purchasing, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now here's where he starts to shift over to the idea of, I believe he's beginning to address the legalists. He says, whatever is sold in the market, eat it. Don't ask 20 questions and put people under a microscope for every decision because he says here in verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's. Is it not? Is it not? It is. Can men abuse this earth? Yeah. Is that happening? Yeah. 
But he says here, it's all the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Verse 27, if any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and I don't think this is talking about an idle feast. I think it's a meal where it's coming together with people. And specifically here, it says a lost person invites you to a meal, okay? And ye, dispo- and ye uh, be disposed to go. Whatsoever is set before you, eat it, asking no question for conscience' sake. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And we need to see verse 29 before I explain those two verses there. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. Remember we talked about how our liberty, if we're not careful, can be used as a stumbling block? He gives a great example here. Here's the example. You've got a lost person that invites you to a meal. I do not think that this is a pagan meal worship idol thing, because Paul said very clearly, the Lord said here, you don't, there, there, there's no taking part of those things. But you sit down with a lost person, whatever is put in front of you, eat it. Look at what verse 27 says. Eat, asking no question for conscience sake. I think that's the conscience of that person that you're ultimately, if you have the right goal, you're trying to win. Now, boy, wouldn't this be a fun ministry? What ministry do you do? I just eat anything with people. Anything. <laughs> I feel called into... No, I'm sorry. I, I couldn't help but think of that in my preparation. I thought somebody would make a ministry out of this. <laughs> but it's, the principle here is, why do we do those things? So we can reach these people. Can we build up a lost person? Yeah, we sure can. By leaning into the Savior. They make a decision to put their trust in Christ. That's forever. But look what would happen if we go on the legalist side. Oh, no, 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 no. How dare? No, I could not eat that. No way. Don't you know what that is? Don't you know? Now you're taking things that are supposed to be applied to a mature believer and you're putting them over that lost person. And who's, who's being left out? Jesus Christ. Isn't it crazy how sin works that way? The believer who saved by grace can be used as an agent of of the devil to lead somebody astray. We need to practice discernment. This is why I think it's okay to eat foods that in the Old Testament for the purpose of the law were there for a specific reason. And if you don't want to, that's fine too. But let me tell you, I'm not going to let that stop me from sitting with somebody who's a lost person. I want to reach that person. Now look at verse 28. So we have that situation. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not. Okay, so did Paul just contradict himself? No. He put a definition between the two meats. You have one that you don't know what it's been offered to. Don't ask any questions. You have one where it's very clearly said, this is offered for idols. Guess what? Don't eat it. Why? Look what it says. Eat not for his sake that presented it or showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You have an opportunity to educate this person who is clearly participating in sacrifice to a pagan god. Who is that god? Does he have any power? Can you explain Jesus Christ through that situation? 
Paul did it. He went to the very, uh, I don't want to say pantheon, but that's the word I'm thinking of, but this area on Mars Hill of, of a dedication to all these different gods. And he pointed to the one that said the unknown God. And he said, let me tell you about this one. What a great opportunity. What a sharp man to recognize how he could use that to lead people to Christ. And then we have verse 29. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? Our liberty is given to us by God, not by that person. And what Paul is saying here is you have to exercise discernment. It's not right to camp all the way over on this side and say, everything is lawful. I'm going to do it all. There's enough grace to take care of my sin. All true, not wise. But on the other side, and I'll be very honest with you, I think this is where a lot of people in Christianity are today when they look at the ecumenical church. They say, it's got to be done this way. It has to be presented in this way. And if it's not, then it's not worth doing. That's poor judgment as well. So where do we come and meet in the middle? It is allow the Word of God to build me up so that I may have discernment with each and every case on a case-by-case basis. And that's hard to do. It is very hard to do. But there's a couple things I want you to know in this. Number one, you will be judged by others. (laughs) Always. Always, always, always. I remember one time, it was choir practice, I was walking out of this hallway, and I was walking down this way to go see Peter. And as I walked out, and I walked down here, I just had a, I don't know, I wasn't thinking, and my countenance did not look like it's Sunday morning, and I'm excited to be here, like like Bob's face right there. It looked more like, I'm thinking about something. You know, maybe I was murmuring in my mind. And Pete pulled me into his office, and he just very gently but also sternly told me, you have to be careful the way you carry yourself because people are looking. And is, is it my fault if someone catches me doing that and says, you know what, I'm not coming to this church because the assistant pastor's not even happy. Well, no, that's them. That's on their fault. But I could avoid that by understanding how that may affect somebody. Now, I don't now, you know, take that and say, if you're not smiling in church, you're not of God and I want no part of you. You know what I'm saying? Because now it's just, now Larry's smiling, Warren is now frowning for some reason. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But isn't it great to know that we can build up personal applications in our life here? And it's a case-by-case basis. Continuing on these last three verses, and this is where it gets a little difficult. For if I, by grace, be a partaker, why am I evil spoken for that of which I give thanks. Paul's giving thanks for this meal that was presented before him. Why should he be called evil if he is living by grace and exercising his discernment? He shouldn't be. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do. I love this. Don't you love this? That, that word whatsoever. Like let's all just lump it together and whatever you do, what's the purpose of it? If we were to give a paragraph section header, for 23 through 33, this would be the title. Do all to the glory of God. Do it all to the glory of God. I'll never forget when I was building a fence with Steve. And I had never built a fence before. You can tell because it was always, Jesse, 
we need that hole dug. Can you do it? And I'm like, boom, with that post hole digger. You know what I'm saying? Like, very easy, very repeatable. You know, the skilled work comes down to the rest of the people who know what they're doing. But I remember just the detail that Steve built his fence with. I mean, having the chalk line out and pulling it and letting it hit against the post. And I just thought to myself, this is so, this is too much. Just put the posts in, measure them out. Put it, I mean, don't you want to drink like some iced tea and be done with this? And I, I don't know if I said that to him in that way or what, but I remember him saying to me this verse, do it all for the glory of God. Now, I don't think the Lord is going to judge Steve on how he built that fence. But I think that Steve looked at all of that as a whole, the opportunity, his ability to purchase it, his ability to use it on property that the Lord has given him, and he said, I want to do a good job. That's how we should look at our lives. And it should not extend just to our personal, but also to the, to the people out there that are without Christ. Live and treat people with, to, the, to, the, to, uh, to the glory of God. Listen, how many meals have I had uh, at, at the local chilies down here that are not done well? You know, probably a little bit, but I'm not going to take my wrath out on them. Can you imagine if I took my wrath out on some poor waiter and they showed up in church the next day? They wouldn't be here long. They're like, oh, I remember that guy. I'm out of here. Oh, it's so easy, though. It's so easy. Verse 32 Here's another great way to filter our decisions. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many. And look how he just ties this together. For what purpose, church? That they may be saved. Boy, isn't that great? There's a greater purpose than just, oh, I want to be disciplined. I will admit to you, when I was growing up in a Baptist church, I didn't want to serve the Lord. It looked like no fun. Zero. It wasn't until I came here at Calvary and I saw all different types of people, all different ways of doing things, all unified on one message, the gospel. Boy, that impacted me as a teenager. I thought, these people... And, and it wasn't like this is a cult. I thought, this is educated. This is not of man. And it wasn't. It was of God. Do you guys remember the CD that Hank Lindstrom passed out all the time? How permanent is your salvation? What a great title. I can't tell you how many times as a teenager I listened to that. In my little Walkman CD player, on my way to school on the bus, I think I still have that disc because eventually the lip of my Walkman broke off. And so I would just have to press the button to make the device think that it was closed and then it would start spinning up. And you could take a permanent marker and just start at the beginning and go, and it was like when it was done, it had like all these really cool rings on it and all these different things. I want to find that. I have my first Bible that my uncle bought me. And it, First and Second Thessalonians is just a one big highlighter. It's like everything. I think the last part of 2 Thessalonians, I just outlined the entire scripture and then colored it in like a child. <laughs> I just remember how this ministry was built off of God's word. And I, 
we should live our lives that way. And there'll be some things you do and some things you don't do. Build one another up. Don't be the one on the sideline with the magnifying glass like, whoop, yeah. You ever, you ever watched a football game with the guy that thinks the referees are, they, they just started understanding what football is and they know when to throw the flag and they know, <laughs> it gets tiring after a little while. But you know, the refs are pretty biased towards the Bucks. It's obvious, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but if we were to wrap it all up, write these three things down. This is how we make decisions, okay? These three things. Does what I'm about to do clearly violate a Bible doctrine? What I'm about to say, where I'm about to go, an action I'm about to do, does it violate a clear portion of Scripture? Number two, does what I'm about to do, say, or go clearly cause another to stumble either in understanding the gospel or living a disciplined Christian life? I look at alcohol and I filtered it through these things and I've decided I will abstain. I'll abstain from it. And the third thing, does what I'm about to do bring shame to the testimony of Jesus Christ? Those three things, you can start making some great decisions if you can live through those three things. I'm excited right now because we have so much left in 1 Corinthians. And we're just in 1 Corinthians. There's a lot of other Bible books. Isn't it great to know that this is not man's word, it's God's? (sighs) Sign me up for that. So I I hope this has been been good for you. I hope you see some things here and and, you know, when I said in the beginning, I didn't want to scare you, like, what is he going to say? <laughs> you know? But uh, there's a lot of people that, that don't understand these verses the way that, we've, you know, that I've, I've taught them tonight. And you know what? They're going to be in heaven with me. <laughs> They're going to be sitting right next to me, and they'll, be, they'll find out they were wrong, and I was right. I'm just kidding. But, you know, we, we don't always agree on everything, but I, I really like this passage of Scripture because... It really shows the beauty of what we have in our liberty. We're not to use it all to the full extent of continuing to sin and causing others to sin, but we're also not supposed to just completely retreat into it and impose man-made laws onto others. There's a middle ground, and it's case by case with the understanding of this word. And that's what people just choose you know, not to do. They don't do that. All right, look up here. Let's go over the gospel message, the greatest news in all the world. This hand represents Jesus Christ. Excuse me. This hand represents you, me, and everyone in the entire world. My wallet represents sin. Puts on top of my hand because we've all sinned. God loves us, but he hates our sin because this sin, it separates us from him. In order to get to heaven, we have to be perfect, just like God. And we're not. We all have sin. This sin has a death payment. Specifically, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's an eternal separation from God forever in the lake of fire forever this is to represent all of our good works if you know world religions good people say well god's righteous yes he is and he'll just take all your good works and he'll weigh it against your bad works and all your sin if it outweighs the the good works well you're going to hell and that's just the way it is well and all your good works if they outweigh your bad works well you've earned it you're in friend that's not how it works our our good deeds are in no way a payment for sin death 
is the payment. Good works cannot save us. The Bible tells us that in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He was fully God. He was fully man. And what Christ did, lived that perfect life, was tempted in all ways that you and I have been tempted, was found without sin. He willingly went to the cross, became sin for us. He died, he was buried, and he rose again three days later. And John 3.16 says, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So all a person needs to do is it's not a work at all. It's simple belief that Jesus took that sin, laid it upon himself, was buried and rose again. That he did that for them. And a, a number of things happen. Great things like no longer is our sin held to our account. It is paid in full. It's not hidden. It's paid. It's as far as the east is from the west. Another great truth. We now have the righteousness of God imputed, put on to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Romans chapter 4. Jesus said, all those who believe are passed from death unto life and they'll never be brought into condemnation again. So that leads me to the last point of the gospel presentation. Once you're saved, you're saved forever. That's not, some, you know, that, that, that's not just some weird FBC way. That's Bible. The Bible teaches that. And now because of that, we have this life to live, full of choices and decisions and places to go and people that we'll meet. But they said we should do all those things that we may save some people, that we can lead some people to Him. Amen? Let's be about that. Will you join me in prayer? For those of you who are in the audience, I, I know each one of you. I want you to know I'm praying for you, and I hope that what you've read here today will be a great motivator for you to look at uh, decisions that you have coming up or maybe decisions that you've made and see how you can make better choices. But let it all be for the effort to win people to Christ. And for those of you who are watching on the live stream, if you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can do so right now. And I, I pray that you will do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Bring us back here safely on Wednesday evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed today's episode of Bible Line, make sure to subscribe to the channel and share this video with a friend. Do you have a Bible question? Send us an email, questions at BibleLineMinistries.org, and we'll do our best to get you an answer. Or you can leave your question in the comments of this video. Be sure to check the links in the description for more clear Bible teaching. Bible Line is a ministry of Calvary Community Church located in Tampa, Florida.